0: Welcome to The Backshop, a podcast about the concepts and practice of media with a focus on its impact on society. Each week, we cover ideas about the theories, concepts, and history that have driven media development. We will also keep an eye on how new technologies are changing traditional ways of getting information at a time when democracy needs our engagement more than ever. This is The Backshop. I'm your host, Jeremy Lata an Associate Professor of Journalism and Communication at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Episode 2. Thank you, everybody, who had some nice words and feedback for me on the uh, first episode. Um, just as a bit of housekeeping, um, the URL for the site is now backshoppodcast.com, where you can go and get show notes um, for every episode. And also, you can follow me at Jeremy Lata on Twitter and ask any questions you have there. Um, so today we are going to launch into the core material after last week's introduction, and I want to talk uh, in these next few episodes about uh, media systems um, writ large, and kind of set a bit of a groundwork for what we're talking about um, when we're when we're talking about some of the, the core issues in this um, in this uh, set of episodes. Um, we are this is an episode um, that is kind of devoted to um, kind of the underlying features of of the topic of mass communication. Now, mass communication is really um, about communication between large groups of people. Um, Traditionally, we have studied it as what we call one-to-many. And that's, uh, if you want to think about it more clearly, it's a broadcast method of communication. Um, We tend to think of broadcast as like radio or television, but broadcast is also just, if you think about a message as being a signal, um, it's going out to large audiences. And um, what's disrupting the the current media um, system we have today is that Um, we have been moving toward a many-to-many form of communication uh, and mass communication, which is that we have a conversational um, uh, way of thinking about uh, how information flows that is not top-down anymore but more networked and social. Um, So that's really kind of where... that that's kind of sets, I think, some historical bookends around when we talk about legacy media, media later on and, and, and what's emerging right now. It's important to keep that shift in mind, that we are moving away from hierarchical forms of communication structures and more toward network forms um, where audiences talk back and they have things to say and they hold hold uh, institutions accountable. Um, as a underlying set of assumptions, I wanted to, to kind of get this out of the way, too, to 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 kind of set the framework for why I think the material we'll be covering in this set of podcasts is important. And those underlying assumptions look like this. First of all, society functions based on communication. So we don't have the ability to do civilization without um, communication. Um, As I had said in the last episode, that you certainly could be a person who goes it alone and lives um, as a hermit and um, in you're in, tilling your own farm and probably not living very long because you don't have any protection and community to help you. But the minute we want to get together and do things, uh, form towns, form cities, um, states, nations, we need to have co- communication to make that happen, to be able to communicate about basic facts and ideas, to uh, work together on goals and policy and things like that. Because of that, information in a system that functions on communication is a form of power. That, that is... Um, those who have it and don't um, have differential levels of power in that society. We have formed societies around communication, and then people who have access to information, um, you can think of it as simply as knowing enough about a company to know whether to invest in it or um, knowing where to show up to go to vote, You know, um, things like that. Having information uh, or lacking information can become a real cleavage point in society between those haves and the have-nots. Because information is a form of power, then controlling information is a form of power. that is um, seeking um, seeking to, to control who has access to what, um, who have, can acquire information, who can't. This can be governmental power, this could be corporate power. Um, you know, for example, in um, digital media, we, we worry a lot about net neutrality, the idea that uh, internet provider has to provide, um, the same types of information, no matter where it's coming from, at the same exact rate that somebody paid for, um, and that you know a, a media company that provides internet can't put the thumb on the scale and provide some content slower and more quickly because that is a form of information control over your audience. Um, governments try to do this all the time. Um, the situation in Egypt a few years ago um, with the Arab Spring, where um, the the crowd showed up in Cairo to protest uh, to Mubarak's government. Um, and one of the things that Mubarak tried to do in the face of those protests that started on January 25th is he tried to shut down access to the internet. Um, presumably with a misguided assumption that that would shut down the flow of information. It turns out he was completely wrong about a lot of things. Um, but you know, we know from, um, history and even current day that, um, there are more autocratic societies than, than, uh, free democracies and autocratic societies tend to control the media. They tend to control and own the television stations, Um, They publish the newspapers. They censor actively um, the content before it goes out and so forth. So society functions based on communication. Information is a result is a form of power. Um, Control of information then is a form of power. Um, And so the last part is a kind of a corollary to that which is access to information then and the ability to speak freely are a counterweight to control. In a world in which we're only talking about speech um, that's really important. When we're talking about free press, that's really important. But I would argue we're kind of at a moment that's new in that um, in the many-to-many many structure Then um, the people's ability to self-publish and to speak out against injustice or, um, or power doing things that they don't like, um, it's a counterweight to the kinds of control that, that, that governments and corporations want to exert which means that those institutions have to adapt um, or what they more often than not do try to do instead is they try to put new types of constraints and controls in those systems. So so in the news this past week, for example, um, we're starting to see a worrisome and bipartisan move towards regulating tech companies um, to make sure that they are um, not, um, well, I mean, the, 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 the guise of it is under the idea of making sure that competing ideas have equal access to their platforms. But what's really going on in the background is that both of these, both of our parties here in the U.S. are, are concerned for very different reasons about um, abuse on those platforms. Um, and so, what it ends up looking like on the on the back end, though, is that we could put the tech companies in the business of discrimination if we don't really aren't careful. Um, so with those four principles in mind, the, the underlying uh, assumption that I have got running in the background, and you're going to hear this come out a lot with me, is that people with power have incentive then to control information systems. And I'm saying people with power in terms of um, governments, um, corporations, I think media themselves. I mean, they often fight back against innovation by trying to restrict the marketplace. Um, institutions, I think that we see that in education. We see it in with nonprofits sometimes. Um, There's a built-in incentive in a society built around free exchange and ideas of uh, that um, to try to fight uh, uh, information spread essentially and those forms of control can look like a lot of different things it can become the the idea of limiting choice and controlling influence um, which we will see when we talk about media economics in a couple episodes here um, to get at the business of media um, that conglomeration merges interests across uh, wide landscapes of the media business and what it actually does is it eliminates uh, um, uh, disruptors who uh, bring different types of choices or um, uh, innovations to the marketplace another form of control is how you consume, um, and, and, and not necessarily the content you consume, but the way in which it's packaged to you. So consider, for example, the, um, the different way in which the same exact story can be packaged on like an MSNBC versus a Fox News, um, which both have a, an ideological bent to their approaches, at least in the nighttime hour. Um, you could definitely say there's one's more liberal, one's more conservative. Um, so what we call that is framing uh, that, um, taking the exact same story and, and spinning it in different ways, or, or packaging it in different ways that give you a different approach to seeing the information. Um, we will get into uh, the framing theory in, in, a, in a couple episodes here and talk a little more deeply about how that looks and how it works, but th- this is kind of here to kind of set the stage for that. Um, another theory we'll talk about is gatekeeping, and so another form of control is how, of what you consume. One of the most sacred Jobs that people in media have, particularly news media, is gatekeeping power. They decide what is news. Uh, They decide what is of public interest enough to produce a story about it and and disseminate to the public. Um, Social media has disrupted that process somewhat um, by offering audiences the ability to push things out into the public that then that make them news. Um, But, but traditionally speaking, uh, one of the most most I would say one of the strongest powers that media have had is the ability to decide um, for us what we see and it's a type of filtering process um, so we will again talk about gatekeeping in a couple weeks when we get to the theory part of it and talk about what that looks like um, what you think about um, is another form of control the um, the news agenda um, dictates what we tend to think of as as important um, so another theory we'll talk about um, in the coming weeks, is, is agenda setting the, the this idea that in aggregate, what the news media coverage looks like, the kinds of topics they cover, um, the stories they promote, tend to set the agenda for what we tend to think is most important in society. We take our cues, in other words, from the news to tell us what's um, what we need to be paying attention to. So they don't tell us what to believe. They don't tell us what to think about the issue. Um, those are what we, in, in scholarship, call um, strong direct effects. Where, um, you know, there was, there was, a, I think, a mistaken belief for a while that media actually change our minds on things, and they, by just by virtue of the of a type of control they have over audiences, that they have the ability to um, control how or what we think about. Um, uh, things on uh, particular issues, but instead, this is a more indirect effects way of approaching it. Saying no, no, by by the fact that the the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, uh, my local newspaper, are all covering a particular story, that's a cue an audience takes that says, oh, okay, this is something I need to kind of uh, be focusing on or paying attention to a little more than if it was just a one off story that existed in one publication, but I don't encounter that anywhere else. Um, Another form of control that we will talk about much later on in this uh, set of uh, podcasts is propaganda, um, and its ability to both uh, drown truth with lies and create a type of cynicism around information in general. Um, but another another role propaganda plays then is to um, delegitimize sources of accountability. Um, the idea that you know if you can go around um, calling all news fake, you know, because it it covers things that I don't like, um, it Covers news in ways that make people think negative thoughts about me, um, then you can uh, you can de- delegitimize the entire institution, and it, it, it creates a disruption in people's minds about whether the information they're countering then from news is um, uh, is something I can trust. Now, all these different forms of control are strategies. Uh, they are strategies by people with power um, to try to uh, assert themselves in that marketplace. And to limit the amount of damage that can be done to them by accountability uh, and coverage. So kind of just recapping what we, what we, we covered at this point then, um, that information is really important and media is really important. The news plays a critical role in um, how we see the world. That journalistic gatekeeping choices that... Um, basically decide what is news become in aggregate a type of agenda that we then see um as as what, what should be on the public's plate for consideration i want to be really careful with the word agenda by the way um that it's not like the media getting together in a dark smoky room and deciding what the public ought to know about and they're they're systematically trying to promote a particular uh, point of view or ideology which is where we tend to think of the word agenda being used with media a lot what i'm talking about it, when i am say the news agenda i'm talking about um, just the, the sense of what should be on the public's agenda, what should be in the public's purview uh, of stuff to pay attention to, because not everything in the news is like DefCon um, one, you know, where it's like this is the most important part of um, you know the, the the public discourse today. But by virtue of those processes, then that you know gatekeeping, and agenda setting, basically just describe uh, powerful roles media play in terms of what we think about and um, and what we see before us. But they also shape the way we see those issues, um, and so because of that, I think power tends to acknowledge that, that 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 role that media play, and they are they try to counteract that influence. Um, power does not want to be held accountable. Um, they um, they don't want to see their position weakened. They they enjoy certain types of control over society because of the influence they've been given, whether through elections or just their corporate dominance, um, and so they will not give that up lightly. Um, so, you know, I I will tell you my, my own orientation personally is, um, to be really skeptical of criticism of media at large. I think that media criticism of individual stories, individual actors in the media, um, where, you know, they, they have shown to be dishonest or, um, to use slipshod methods, um, or a particular story has a lot of problems to it. Um, uh, I, I, would say those are, much much more valid forms of criticism because they tend to be based on the unit that's right there in front of you um, and they are not an ongoing critique they're a critique of a particular mar- media artifact or, or actor in the marketplace but when you when you start labeling the press you know or um, the media in such broad terms I mean the media for example, Encompasses both information and entertainment. It's it's, um, it's so wide ranging that it's very difficult to pin down what anybody means by that anyway. Um, but lumping together like more ideological sources like Fox News with more play down the lo- straight down the middle type sources like CNN, um, you know, to 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 think that a, a large sprawling organization like the New York Times has some sort of unified agenda to me, uh, it should be met with some skepticism <laughs> because you're you're talking about. Uh, large systems, it's very hard to control that even just from a bureaucratic perspective. Um, So what I always wonder about when I hear those things is what's going on in the background. Why are they they criticizing this particular organization? What incentive do they have to do so? What might they be trying to accomplish? So I think understanding that relationship between media and power is really important because it gives us a lens to be able to see any particular form of controversy in media, um, some some type of coverage or lack of coverage um, through the eyes of what does the criticizer have to gain. Now, very carefully, again, I want to say that sometimes those criticisms are very valid. I think even as part of my job, you'll hear me um, within this podcast or on Twitter or or even my own classes, you'll hear me criticize media. Um, I think it's fair. And I think as citizens, we have not only an absolute right, but a duty to critique our media, to not consume it, um, passively, um, but rather actively to criticize and critique what's coming at us, um, to be skeptical a little bit of it. Um, but, you know, I think that when we start talking about institutions, we need to be a little more careful because it's made up of a lot of individual actors and processes in the background, many of which we will be talking about in the coming weeks, about how news comes together and that, like, it's very difficult to um, to piece together a, a nefarious agenda um, from some of the, the the processes that are in place there. So just as a takeaway here, um, and I kind of asked you to think about this a little bit last time, I'm going to try to leave you with something to think about is, you know, what are, what are some of the competing systems here, you know, that are in play um, that are struggling for control of the conversation in society? Because if conversation is the, the exchange of information, then we realize that information is power. And then, who are the key players in, in not only the um, production of information that citizens want to use, but also the publishing and broadcast of information, the the means by which we acquire that information? Um, they, those are processes that can be hacked or hijacked by by um, actors that have a, an agenda in making sure that um, they have some say into how that goes and who we listen to and who we don't. So next time, what we're going to do is um, we're going to get into some some introduction to media economics and what some of the landscape looks like. We're going to talk about um, some of the big uh, corporations that control media. This will not be a more micro conversation about some of the specific industries. We will get to those. But I wanted to to use in the next episode to sketch out the landscape and what things look like um, for us. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, Please check out the show notes. And obviously, let me know if you have any comments on Twitter backshop is a non-commercial podcast recorded and produced by jeremy latah at lehigh university special thanks to Kaseki, whose music was used for this podcast and made available via gemendo with a creative commons license